This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Additional support provided by... Malt Europe Malting Company is a leading supplier of craft malt across North America. As a farmer-owned company, Malt Europe has carefully crafted quality malt from locally grown barley for decades. The result? A portfolio of base, specialty, and distiller's malts that exceed the exacting standards of craft brewers. Learn more and buy online at malteuropemaltingco.com. Maltsters target specific types of malts as early as uh, steeping. There are a lot of different specifications that brewers are asking for nowadays that are directly correlated to to steeping and, and cast moistures and control of, uh, of moisture uptake of the kernel. This week on the show, Tyler Scholes takes us on a deep dive into the most important step in malting. Hi, my name is Tyler Scholes, and I am currently working with Country Malt Group as a malt specialist uh, within the North American craft segment. Uh, previous to that, I was with Great Western Malting, Baird's Malt, and Canada Malting. Okay, we're talking about steeping during malting, which you've said is the fulcrum between good and bad malt. So what's the big deal? We're just combining water with barley. Why is steeping so important? Well, steeping is important. Um, because because it, it starts the entire biochemical modification of the barley and and malting itself is is that biochemical modification of the barley to 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 uh, activate we'll call it all of the different enzymes and break down different um, different components of the barley so that the brewer can use it when he's brewing so um, steeping is the most important because it activates all this and uh you know most specifications that a brewer looks at or a distiller looks at is is related directly correlated to steeping analytics practices and the overall control of the process so you know this is this is why we focus on it this is why a maltster in an ideal world will spend you know up to 50 percent of the time on the steep floor and and limit the time in germination and um and in the lab uh because because this steeping process kicks everything off 
Talk about the goals of steeping. What are the target outcomes? Well, the target outcomes come, they kind of come in stages. Um, Objectives of steeping within that 48 hour window are to hydrate the kernel first and foremost. So, you know, when the hydration occurs and that malt hits 27% moisture, roughly, everything kind of kicks off and starts. Uh, The embryo is activated. Um, water and oxygen are are taken up by the kernel itself, and and it starts to produce heat and carbon dioxide. The kernel is living at this point; it's it's in the it's in the primary stages of developing into a, a plant. Um, we're mimicking that that kind of stage that you'd see in nature in the springtime, um, and every single kernel is kind of kicking at its own pace. Uh, steeping kind of sets the tone uh, for homogeneity as well. Uh, so if we don't get hydration of the plant, um, the barley kernel itself, then then we don't have a consistent product down the road. Um, the most important thing with this hydration process is it has 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 a link to enzymatic potential and enzyme movement in the malt itself. Um, the malt kernel is is going to stay as barley unless we get this hydration to occur. And the enzymes use this hydration as passive transport throughout the kernel in order to kind of break down uh, the components they're targeting within the malt and modify it to the point of being brewer's malt. As with brewing, there have been numerous technological advances in malting over the years. How has the maltster's approach to steeping evolved? Well, it's... In, it, back in the days, it was it was really, really, really um, kind of rudimentary. Um, you know, people would just dig a ditch, throw barley into that ditch or vat, and then add water, and away you go. Not much control of temperature, not much control of you know homogeneity and mixing of the actual kernel itself. You might have obtained hot pockets. Or, or inconsistencies right from the get-go that would kind of lapse into um, inconsistencies in final product. Um, so as time progressed throughout steep tank history, uh, there were some very, very important equipment kind of advances that came along with time. Um, we started using metals instead of just vats or ditches, which increased the cleanliness and overall quality of the malt. We started using, you know, dig- angles where where the malt would actually flow on its own. So angling the bottom of the steep tanks so that we can unload the steep tanks without shovels or buckets. And then when we get into the actual control of the malt itself, um, introduction of aeration and CO2 extraction to aerate kernels when they were underwater and produce a mixing action as well as kind of oxygenate that kernel, that, that water surrounding the kernel again, uh, if it had been depleted by the, the malt itself during the process, um, advanced. And then in the other uh, stage of steeping, when, when malt was out of water in, in we call it air rest, uh, the CO2 extraction would kick in and pull fresh ambient air through the steep tank eliminating pockets of that poisonous CO2 to the plant, providing fresh oxygen again, and really 
controlling temperature and and growth of that kernel. Um, once a once a malt kernel, once a malt batch uh, decides to take off and starts developing a large amount of heat through the modification process in the steep tanks, it gets very difficult to control. So all of these technological advances allow maltsters nowadays to to control that malt through the steeping process and give it ideal conditions to take off in germination and and furthermore process through kilning to a final product. So what are the implications of these innovations? Uh, just how different would you say our malt is today from from years of the past? Well, um, not only is the malt different, the process and recipes are slightly different as well. So back in the day, they didn't really know to go through the stages of uh, first immersion, second immersion. So that was, that was a major, major advancement in recipe development was actually walking the barley through uh, a first immersion in air rest and a second immersion in air rest, um, and then going into germination. So recipe development um, changed along with with uh, equipment. It was it was affected by the equipment. Um, Did that development come about because uh, they started to gain an understanding of, of of what exactly was going on during respiration? You think? Yeah, I don't. I don't know too much. I don't want to dig too much into the details of this. I, I, I'm not an expert in this field, but I, I feel like with the with the advancement in technology and and maybe sensors and and IDing what the barley was actually doing and identifying correlations with heat generation and and temperature control and overall quality of barley um, or malt coming going to the brewer. I think they were able to identify. That um, by immersing the grain in water and then bringing it into air rest to kind of spark that that heat development and and um, modification process and then dipping it back in water to reabsorb again was a lot gentler. They found it to be a lot gentler on the embryo and a lot more consistent um, water uptake was obtained because of it. And this kind of triggered this this wave of quality. Um, that, that has progressed into where we are today. Um, you know, other cons- other things that that have changed is because we're advancing uh, the process and modifying it more than we ever had uh, been in the past. Um, dust skimmings and and overall losses in malting have gone up ever so slightly. Average cast moistures have changed from you know forty low forties to mid to high forties uh, potentially. Um, in today's world, and that isn't just driven by equipment. That's also driven by barley varieties and 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 targets that maltsters are trying to achieve nowadays. But overall, I'd say you know equipment brought forward um, some major major control in the malting process, and and because of that, we're able to push to the nth degree in malting nowadays if we'd like to, and and really produce some really f- spectacular um quality malt and and different products at that different different types of malt nowadays as well all right guide us through the biochemistry of steeping what's going on inside that barley kernel so you know biochemistry begins um at around 27 percent moisture that's when the kernel really has become activated the embryo is active at that point so you know what what occurs is um there's a there's a 
a molecule called gibberellin. Um, it's a plant growth hormone that's released by the embryo. Embryo is one of the two living uh, components of the barley kernel. Um, the other living component of the barley kernel is the allerone layer that wraps around the kernel itself. So when gibberellin is released from the embryo, it, it not only uh, begins to work its way into the endosperm and, and um, modify the malt, but it also acts, activates the allerone layer, which, which releases hydrolytic enzymes into the kernel from all directions. When this occurs, it goes through a number of stages of breakdown of molecules, um, you know, starting with cell wall. Uh, cell walls, um, moving into protein matrices, and really the end goal of this whole process is to get to the starch granules that are locked up within those cell walls and protein matrices and allow the brewer to access them. All the while, um, respiration has kind of initiated. The, the barley kernel is now uh, a living barley kernel. It's uptaking oxygen releasing co2 and heat and and because of this like we said before that that equipment and control of the process is vital so you know steeping sets the stage for the entire process if we don't get that moisture into the kernel if we don't get active transport um and have it readily available for those enzymes to work their way into the endosperm and and attack the the constituents they are designed to attack uh, cell wall protein matrices and end game starches um, then the brewer doesn't really have anything to work with um, he has a raw piece of barley that isn't going to produce the the flavor profile or beer that like alcohol content that they're after in a final product so we've got enzymes leaving the aluron layer and being transported by water through the starchy endosperm, which is that big energy reserve the barley kernel was planning to use to grow a new barley plant. Talk a little bit more about those enzymes. You've already mentioned some of them, but you know which, which, what are the enzymes we're talking about? What are they doing? And is it all happening at once or in phases? That sort of thing. So uh, enzymes, uh, this is where it gets really hot and heavy. Um, enzyme development during malting occurs. There are some enzymes that are already active or, or, or locked up, but, but ready to go within the kernel. Um, beta amylase is, is available. It's, it's locked within the kernel itself, but there's a lot of um, enzymes that are kind of uh, created or synthesized during the process. Uh, carboxypepsidases are the first to kind of kick off, and that's the majority of the work being done in steeping is is linked to gar- carboxypeptidases, um, xylanases as well. Um, they are they are really important to the process actually because these these are the the are they are the enzymes that attack those cell walls and really open up those molecules so that you know beta glucanase and proteases and alpha amylases. And beta amylases can dig in and, and get the results we need, um, the brewer needs. Because the, the amylases could never get to that starch if, the, if those first set of enzymes didn't work, right? That's correct. It's all part of the process. Um, those, those cell walls have to be broken down. If you look at a barley kernel itself, um, you know, a rudimentary draw, drawing would have um, the, the cell wall kind of protecting the protein matrix internally. 
And then inside of those protein matrices, you'd have those starches kind of bound up and, and tied down. So breaking down the cell wall is vital to get to those proteins and breaking down the proteins vital to get to those cell, those, those starches. Coming up. Um, you know, this, this is the way the plant defends itself from rain at harvest. Um, if we look at North America, uh, dormancy doesn't really exist anymore within the barley varieties that we use. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by... Bring the world to your brew house with BSG's diverse selection of ingredients and services. Our dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Make BSG your supplier of choice with products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. Visit us at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. Additional support provided by... The secret to quality fermentation is White Labs. Core strains are made weekly and most can ship out the next day. Order through the White Labs app or yeastman.com. Visit whitelabs.com backslash whitelabs for a new customer special offer. That's whitelabs.com backslash W-H-Y whitelabs. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Paul, Minneapolis joins forces with the Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild once again for the Minnesota Brewers Conference July 26 in Duluth. The District St. Paul, Minneapolis August Meeting and Golf Outing is August 2nd at Muddy Axe Hop Farm. The District Texas Summer Meeting in Kerrville is the weekend of August 2nd. Don't miss the basic lab equipment for your brewery webinar August 8th presented by our friend John Geritano from episode 64. District Rocky Mountain meets August 14th at New Terrain Brewing in Golden. Master Brewer's Brewery Systems Technology and Maintenance course starts August 18th in Madison. District Carolinas meets August 23rd at Boonshine Brewing. The 2019 Eastern Technical Conference is in Philadelphia August 23rd and 24th. And the District Ontario Hop Field Day is August 24th at Goodlot Farmstead Brewing Company. Registration is now open for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. Be sure to tack on a couple of extra days to enjoy some amazing hiking and make the 45-minute trip to Banff, which is one of the most picturesque places on the planet. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Those enzymes obviously can't get to work if there's not enough hydration to give them a ride. Talk about the symptoms of getting that steeping degree right or wrong. Okay, well, we could talk about a couple of things here. Um, we could talk about 
um, hydration of the kernel and what it does if it's done right or done wrong. Good malt versus bad malt, essentially, is what it is if we want to simplify it. But I think it, we could also talk about um, you know steeping and how maltsters uh, target a pilster malt versus a, a pale malt versus a high color malt. So you know if we go back to hydration, um, no hydration essentially means no modification of the kernel itself. Those, that passive transport is extremely important. Um, and, and what ends up happening um, in the end game is if steeping doesn't go right, we have maybe a bit of trouble with beta-glucans or protein that hasn't been solubilized or higher viscosities, lower extracts, um, locked alpha amylase uh, that, that can't be accessed. So there's, there's a number of things that, that can go wrong um, if hydration isn't right. And I might, I might mention here that um, hydration's important, but how you hydrate the kernel is also important. If you hydrate the kernel extremely quickly, um, you might obtain the right moisture content of the malt being 45% moisture, roughly, um, for, for you know, typical types of malt nowadays. Um, however, if you're hydrating it quickly, you might not have homogeneous um, hydration that has occurred. You might have um, the distal part of the kernel that doesn't have any moisture in it anymore. So what, what you end up having is three-quarters of the kernel or seven-eighths of the kernel that has modified and all of those beautiful processes have taken place um, with, within um, that, that time frame. Uh, but on the back end, um, at the distal end, you may have this portion of the kernel that hadn't gotten moisture uh, pierced into it, which means enzymes couldn't get to that distal end. And now you have a barley kernel inside of a malt kernel, and that's never good, um, not, only, not only for the maltster looking at the COA, but for the brewer uh, when they actually use the malt. Nobody wants that barley kernel still to be present. Um, nobody wants a barley kernel inside of a malt kernel. Um, if we look at the overall recipe development side of things, um, as, as we look into moisture content in malt, um, it's, it's important to note that maltsters actually adjust recipes and steeping to develop different types of malt. And it's all to do with controlling modification of that kernel. So a typical Pilsner malt might be steeped to 42% moisture, maybe 44% moisture at cast, uh, the point at which the barley kernels, the batch is dropped from the steep tank to the germination vessel. Um, a, a regular two-row malt, a pale malt, might be steeped in and, and targets maybe 44 to 46% uh, overall moisture content within the kernel. And then maybe a pale malt that needs a little bit more modification, needs a little bit more um, moisture, um, might, might target 45 to 47% moisture. So maltsters target specific types of malts as early as uh, steeping, um, and and all of this is controlled or or somewhat controlled by the moisture within the kernel leaving the steep tanks. Talk about the importance of temperature during steeping. What are the pros and cons of cooler versus warmer steeping temperatures? Well, cooler versus warmer steeping temperatures affect a couple of things. Um, so they affect cooler, cooler, warmer steeping temperatures 
water, water temp or air temp or both combined affect how fast a moi- the moisture actually pierces into the kernel itself. So when we're talking about um, uh, a malt that we may have a little bit of trouble um, modifying, it's a little bit stubborn in the malt house, what we may end up doing is slowing down the process a little bit and adjusting water temperature if at all possible or air temperature, uh, airflow if at all possible, to hydrate the kernel a little wee bit slower. And we go back to the, the same kind of principle. The slower the, the kernel is hydrated, the better it's going to be uh, long term because it will be a more homogeneous um, moisture content from, from proximal end to distal end within the malt. Um, moisture moisture uh, is is vital to the to the control of the entire process and 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 heat or temperature drastically impacts um, how fast the water is taken up by the kernel. If we go to the opposite side of the spectrum and the temperature increases, um, we're in the dead of summer, a hundred a hundred degrees Fahrenheit average temperature day and night. If we were malting in Arizona, for instance. Well, that kernel now has the capability to uptake moisture a lot more rapidly. And what we end up finding is that there are pockets of the kernel that don't get hydrated because it's absorbed moisture that quickly. Um, and, and we get an inconsistent molt on, on the back end when we come out of the kiln. Um, one other thing to note is that um, temperature also is directly impacted uh, by how vigorous that malt kernel is, so every variety has its own has its own pathway to success. We'll call it um, so. Uh, a Copeland variety or a Metcalf variety may process and be a little bit less vigorous than that of a winter variety with really really plump kernels coming off of the field. So you know each variety has its own recipe that maltsters hone in on throughout the year and and temperature plays a big big part in in controlling that modification uh, to the final product. All right. Uh, we didn't really talk about dormancy or water sensitivity. Talk about the, what those terms mean and how that might affect your steep process. So Dormancy um, is an interesting one because I, I have firsthand experience with it uh, when I worked in, in the UK. Uh, dormancy was was very common to be found in barley kernels um, and barley coming off the fields and malting quality barley, that is. So, you know, dormancy is the natural defense mechanism of the plant um, in nature so that when when the seeds have dropped off of the 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 plant um the land on the ground they don't they don't necessarily germinate right away and and this helps the plant establish itself it also helps um helps when the the plant itself is hit by water at at late stages of development so that the plant doesn't grow another plant well well it's well it's still growing the the kernel that embryo is not active and um you know this this is the way the plant defends itself from rain at harvest um if we look at north america uh dormancy doesn't really exist anymore within the barley varieties that we use um one of the reasons for dormancy not existing is because back 
back in the day, um, Maltsters didn't necessarily have the the infrastructure to house 50,000, 60,000 metric tons of barley coming off the fields to break that dormancy. And dormancy can last um, three to six months, sometimes even longer. It all depends on the variety itself. So in order to break dormancy, you would have to put it into a bin and store it uh, with controlled airflow and humidity sensors to make sure you're not pumping moisture into the actual bed itself and causing an unfit environment for that barley um, for three to six months, continuously testing it month to month. And when dormancy was broken, um, the maltster would call upon it and, and put it into the steep tanks. On the North American side, that dormancy doesn't exist. It's been bred out for years and years and years. So, so maltsters don't have to break dormancy within North America. But one of the side effects of that is um, with weather systems coming in, we, we pray um, and we pray a lot that, that moisture doesn't fall from the sky, rains don't fall from the sky at harvest. Because if they do, the barley is ready to go, it is ready to germinate, and it, and it tends to germinate on the fields. Um, when this occurs, uh, the maltster's job becomes very, very difficult uh, because that barley coming into the plant is extremely sensitive to moisture. Oftentimes, uh, we, we aren't able to work with it. Has there been any um, movement within the community to um, try to establish, to get breeders to basically breed a little bit of dormancy back in so that, I mean, it sounds like the optimal situation would be if you had just enough dormancy to make sure you wouldn't have pre-sprout in the field, but then you could still malt the barley right away, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, I am not linked um, heavily with with AMBA or any of the breeding programs themselves, and and they're quite complex systems. But I can tell you, as a maltster, man, you know, if 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 there was a way to obtain a week or two of dormancy, just enough time to transport it, harvest it, and transport it, port it to the malt house, and for it to be ready to go when it goes into the steep tanks, that would be a pipe dream uh, for sure, because that would mitigate a lot of the risk associated with today, uh, the the barley today. Um, Typically, when we have uh, a less than ideal crop year, um, that is the cause of it. It's either that or drought, uh, one of the two. And barley coming in is a lot more difficult for the maltster work, to work with. Uh, countless hours in steep steep rooms, countless hours on the germ bed, and and countless hours analyzing the COAs for each of the batches coming off to make sure that we're doing everything we can to maximize uh, our process. And then it becomes a real difficult task for the brewer as well, because um, the quality of malt, the, the specifications on, on their COAs might drop as well. All right. Gibberellic acid is the plant hormone that triggers the release of all those important hydrolytic enzymes we've already mentioned. Talk about how gibberellic acid can be used as a process aid in the malt house. I know there's a, a little bit of a stigma around that, but I mean, I'm not quite sure why because it's a it's a natural, um, you know, it's naturally present in the in the kernel in the first place. So why don't you talk a little bit about how that's used as a process aid and and maybe comment on that that stigma? So you know. Gibberellic acid is is something that can be used during that malting process. Um, typically, it would be applied to the germination beds themselves. Nowadays, that that that's the application point of where where, where it would be applied. Um, as a maltster, we we try 
based because because of that stigma we 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 don't use or we we avoid using gibberellic acid but in the event that we do have a bad crop year um, and we have maybe some damage or pre-germination in the fields that that gibberellic acid is kind of a, a jump start we'll, we'll call it to the to the barley itself and and regardless of that embryo releasing gibberellins being dead or alive uh, gibberellic acid does does allow that kernel to maybe partially modify uh, with a less than ideal uh, kind of um, barley coming into the malt house if the application occurs at the right time and there is a little bit of life in, in that embryo and and some of the processes are activated uh, or tricked into being activated by that gibberellic acid within the germ compartment we might be able to at times get a little bit of modification and and turn a dire situation where there isn't any malting barley available for brewers into something where we have something to work with um, the quality might not be quite as good as a you know, or or won't be nearly as good as a as a a good crop or a good harvest, but we squeak it out and and we're able to provide something to the brewer by using gibberellic acid in in that germination vessel and activating that kernel to the best of our ability, that allurone layer to the best of our ability. Do you think that stigma just comes from the fact that usually it's sort of associated with you know less than ideal malt in the first and the you know, barley in the first place, or do you think there's something else going on there? Um, I don't, I don't really know, uh, John. I, I, I'd, I'd like to think that the stigmas, um, um, it, it, it will go away, go away with time. Because you're right in saying that uh, gibberellic acid is is present within the barley um, naturally. Um, it's not like we're adding. Uh, it's not like we're uh, genetically modifying uh, a kernel or or we're doing any kind of voodoo. Um, scientific t- scientific voodoo to the kernel as it's going through the process. Um, you know, I I could I don't know why. Um, I've only, I've been in the industry for twelve years, and since day one, there has always been that kind of um, stigma surrounding gibberellic acid use. And and most recently, um, when I was in the UK, it became even more. Um, more prominent um and and there was there was there were some major distillers that that outright um requested gibberellic gibberellic acid not be used um so i'm not sure um where this stigma came from i mean you're you could be absolutely right in saying that it it could be linked to a, a bad crop here and and the idea of less than ideal malt um because because you know, as a maltster, we we don't tend to use it unless uh, there is there's a bind. We're in a pinch with with a harvest, so you know that that could be it. But I'm not I'm not definitive on that. I don't know for sure. Okay, fair enough. Maybe it just comes from the some of those brewers, the same brewers out there that are afraid to use uh, commercially uh, produced enzymes that are uh, you know again the same enzymes that would be found uh, in the kernel. Uh, who yeah. knows? Which parameters on a malt COA can we expect to shift? As steeping degree increases or decreases, as as a general rule of thumb, um, when you have steeping under control, um, typically you do end up increasing the overall quality of malt. Um, there are a lot of different um, specifications that brewers are asking for nowadays that are directly correlated 
to to steeping and and cast moistures and control of uh, of moisture uptake of the kernel. So you know to dig into a couple of them, um, you know that are directly correlated. Um, we could dig into things like friability and as cast moisture as in as in, is increased, friability tends to increase. Uh, friability being that the crack of the corn as it's going through the mill, how how consistently it cracks, and um, you know, furthermore, you know the the partially undermodified grains or wholly undermodified grains that come along with the friability test, pugs and wugs, they tend to increase if if cast moisture hasn't been met, and decrease if it has been met. Um, as far as viscosities are concerned. Uh, because because viscosities are directly linked to some of those enzymes actively chewing away at cell walls and and protein matrices, um, viscosity tends to decrease as cast moisture increases and and consistency of moisture in, increases within the kernel. So viscosity has has a positive uh, correlation to steeping moisture as well. And then when we get into um, things that brewers are really interested in, like fine coarse extract, or or things like beta glucan. Um, as we talked about earlier, um, steep moisture is is really it's directly correlated to these two. Um, the the extract potential of the malt can only be obtained if all of those three layers of protection are are broken down via enzymes. So as cast moisture increases again, um, that consistency of cast moisture and and the cast moisture percentage itself um, can impact and affect the overall extract of that grain. Higher extract typically means more consistent, higher cast moisture uh, in the kernel itself coming out of steeping. And again, for beta-glucan, beta-glucan being one of the final markers and, um, and one of the key components that, that maltsters look at as well as brewers look at in, in day-to-day practice, as beta-glucan um, you know, can cause some real harm to the, to the brewing process um, slowing down louders and, and causing some headaches with filtration. Um, as cast moisture increases and, and consistency of cast moisture increase as well, um, that beta-glucan tends to drop. Um, it isn't only about cast moisture for beta-glucan. It's also about time. Um, time is, is on our side. The longer the time in steeping and germination, the more likely you are to get the breakdown of beta-glucan by beta-glucanase and, and get a really low reading on, on the overall analysis. But cast moisture is setting the base for, for a lot of these specifications um, that brewers look at on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's setting the stage. And, and determining whether or not um, we're going to end up with quality or not out the back. That was Tyler Scholes here on the Master Brewers podcast. Tyler has a house in Calgary, so I asked him what those of us heading to the 2019 Master Brewers Conference have to look forward to. It's a really beautiful city. It's close. I mean, it's it's an hour from the mountains. You're in Banff, one of the most picturesque places on the planet, um, within 45 minutes if you want to venture out. And then if you go even further, about an hour further is Lake Louise and Moraine Lake, um, which is beautiful and picturesque as well. Turquoise waters, uh, brilliant crisp air, 
great people, great hikes if you like hiking. Uh, some of the best hikes that I've ever done have been around Lake Louise. So lots of people get stirred into like the touristy zones. And um, there's so much more to, to Banff, Lake Louise, and Calgary than the tourist zones. Must-sees. I'm a huge, huge fan of... Um, not Lake Louise itself, although it's beautiful, but Moraine Lake, which is a, a, a lake that's a little bit further up the mountain. Um, I always tell people to go visit that lake. There's some beautiful hikes. Um, Johnson Canyon's a pretty easy hike. Um, if you do the small, small hike, uh, just to a couple waterfalls, uh, that's just outside Banff. Um, if you go a bit further, you could do Ink Pots. Uh, which is about, I think it's about a four or five hour hike all in all, depending on your pace. Um, and if and if you go further than the ink pots on that same trail, you, you end up in Lake Louise. So it's, it's linked to Lake Louise and then it becomes a full day deal. But in general, um, take in, I would say if, if I were talking about Calgary, I would take in nature. I mean, it, it's at its finest. The city's beautiful um, and, and lots of lots of energy on 17th Ave and um, Electric Ave but um, the real gem is heading to those Rockies and, and driving into Canmore and Banff and Louise and 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 just looking around at, at, at nature at its best it's it's an absolutely spectacular place to be are you enjoying the master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, White Labs, BSG, and Malt Europe. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. It's time to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing things up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. You can find all the details on the Meetings tab at mbaa.com. Just my, 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 my,